Hello everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of Paper in a Nutshell. There has been a long hiatus between the third episode and the fourth episode. A lot has happened in between. The month of January and February was hectic because I was writing my master thesis. I channeled all my focus towards that and as a result, I was not able to read more papers. After I finished my masters, I took a month long vacation to visit my family. Now I'm back and more focused. I hope to release more episodes of the papers which I find fascinating. Thank you for being patient with me. I hope this episode is worth the wait. In today's paper, we talk about dynamic routing between capsules. The paper that describes the architecture of capsule networks and gives insight on how to train it. This episode does not go into the technicalities of capsule networks. Instead, I made this episode to explain the various intuitions at the heart of this network. I hope this episode acts as supplementary material to concretize your understanding of capsule nets. However, without reading the paper, you should still be able to understand what a capsule net primarily does. If you are able to understand, I would take it that the transfer learning between our brains was successful. Without further machine learning jokes, let us get to the point. The last decade saw the rise of convolutional neural networks as a go-to neural network architecture for visual tasks. From object recognition to object localization, several variants of CNNs have been developed over the years which solved these previously difficult tasks with alarmingly small computation time. However, there is a problem with CNNs that very few have addressed so far. A great example of how CNNs fail is shown using an example of face recognition. For this example, two images of faces are considered. In the first image, the eyes, the nose and the mouth are placed normally relative to each other. In the second image, the eyes, nose and the mouth are kept at random places. Interestingly, a CNN classifies the image as face for both the images. This brings out a flaw of CNNs. The presence of the eyes, nose and mouth and not the spatial relationship amongst them is sufficient for a CNN to classify an image as face. The reason for the incorrect classification is because of the CNN's architecture. A CNN works by multiplying learnable weight matrices with the activations of the previous layer and then passing the resulting matrices through a nonlinear function. The receptive fields of the higher layers are increased through the max pooling operations. The max pooling filters all the features except the feature with the highest magnitude. In doing so, the final layers learn higher order features. For example, the lower layer features activate when eyes, nose and mouth are present, while a higher level feature, higher level feature activates if a face is present in the image. Thus, max pooling translates lower level features to higher level features but it does so by removing any information about the pose of the lower level features with respect to the higher level feature. The pose is the rotational and translational information. Taking again the example of human face, the left eye is at a certain distance from the right eye. Similarly, 
the eyes are positioned at a certain distance and orientation from the mouth. This information is lost in Max Pooling. This is what Geoffrey Hinton et al. highlights in the paper. Hinton said, quote, The pooling operation used in convolutional neural networks is a big mistake and the fact that it works so well is a disaster, end quote. The solution that Hinton et al. proposes to solve this problem are capsule networks. To understand capsule networks, we first need to develop an intuition. For this, we look at how computer graphics is rendered. In computer graphics, the geometric objects of the physical world are stored as internal representations that encode the relative position and orientation of the objects with respect to one another. Our software takes these representations as inputs and outputs an image of the object or in other words, renders the object. Hinton uses this as an inspiration and says that the human brain does the opposite, which he calls inverse graphics. The visual information that is captured by the eyes are transformed into internal representations that are pose invariant. The best way to explain this is to think about your best friend. You can recognize your friend no matter which way he or she is facing you. You can even recognize the silhouette of your friend with high accuracy. This is because the visual information that passes through your eyes is transformed into a representation that is invariant of the pose of your friend with respect to you. The key idea is that the representation in your brain is independent of the view angle. Hinton argues that the pose relationship that objects have with one another is important for recognition. If we are able to build a model that considers the pose relationship of the objects, the recognition task is simplified because the model will be able to identify an object from viewing angles it has not seen before. To encode the spatial relationship between objects, Hinton et al. move from scalar to vector representations of features. In CNNs, features are scalar. It means feature matrices are multiplied with the volume of input over which it overlaps to produce a single number. The feature matrices stride through the entire input volume to produce a matrix of such single numbers. These single numbers are scalar. These feature matrices or kernels are matrices that learn to detect features. For example, one kernel learns to detect eyes while another kernel learns to detect the mouth. Viewpoint invariance is achieved through max pooling. Invariance means changing the input does not change the output. What we mean here is that if we offset the position of the eye in an image, the kernel that detects eyes will still be able to detect eyes because max pooling will still select the highest scalar and in this case, it is the scalar that encodes presence of the eye. Capsules on the other hand encode the state of the detected feature using the direction of the vector and the probability of the detected feature being present is encoded by the length of the vector. The length of the vector is also called the norm of the vector. A simple way to understand this concept is looking again at our human face example. Furthermore, consider the vector has only two dimensions. This makes it easy to visualize the vector in a 2D plane. Let us say that the capsule which contains this vector learns to detect the human left eye. 
now you're given two images of the two face profiles of a person. In the first image, the left eye is visible in the side profile of a person. This is represented by the capsule using the vector with a length of 1, making an angle of 45 degrees with the x-axis. In the second image, the person is facing the camera. The capsule in this case encodes the left eye with the same vector having a length 1, but now making an angle of 135 degrees with the x-axis. What we can conclude is that the, as the head rotates, the left eye is visible, but its orientation has changed. Therefore, the vector has length 1 because the left eye is visible. However, the angle that it makes with the x-axis is changed to reflect the changing orientation of the left eye. For the next segment, we will talk about what the paper describes primarily, that is dynamic routing. Hinton et al. describes dynamic routing, a technique through which the capsule at the lower layer transfers information to a capsule at the higher layer. Let us understand it through the human face example again. Let us consider four capsules in a layer that encode the presence and the orientation of eyes, nose, mouth and earrings respectively. Further, furthermore, consider that we are building a model that learns to detect a face. In the layer succeeding the layer which contains the four capsules, there exists a single capsule that encodes the orientation and the presence of a human face. As told before, a capsule consists of a multidimensional vector. The four vectors at the lower layer undergo a transformation by multiplication with learnable weight matrices. Intuitively speaking, the weight matrices encode the spatial relationship between the lower level features, that is the eyes, nose and mouth, and the higher level features, that is the face. Specifically, the capsule that detects the eye after transformation represents the position and orientation of the face relative to the eye. Similar conclusions can be made about the nose and the mouth. Another way to imagine the transformation is as follows. The weight matrix multiplication transforms the vector that encodes the eye into a vector that encodes the face. What has not been mentioned till now is what happened to the capsule that detects the earring. An assumption that we can make to better understand dynamic routing is that the presence of earrings does not mean that the face is present because faces can be devoid of earrings and earring photos can be taken separately as well. Dynamic routing combines the information of the lower levels and feeds it to the higher level capsule. It does so with a weighting strategy. Essentially, the higher level capsule receives four input vectors. However, the information passed from the eye, nose and the mouth capsule will be more than the information passed from the earring capsule because the presence of the eyes, nose and mouth means that there is a higher chance that a face is present. The same cannot be said for earrings. The weights for dynamic routings are determined through a learning process. The process through which these weights are learned are beyond the realm of this episode. However, what I can say is that the dot product between the input vectors and the output vector of the higher level capsule determines the weight that performs dynamic routing. Once the output vector of the higher level capsule is computed, it undergoes a squashing function. The squashing function intuitively normalizes the length of the vector within a range of 0 to 1, signifying the probability of the presence of the feature represented by the vector. Hinton et al. show the performance of capsule nets through the MNIST dataset. For those who do not know, the MNIST dataset is a collection of images of handwritten numbers. 
Each image contains only one number. The task is to classify an image into one of the 10 numbers. The architecture of the network consists of an initial convolutional layer followed by primary capsules, digit capsules and a decoder. The digit capsule layer contains 10 capsules for the 10 numbers with each capsule having 16 di dimensions. The digit capsule is succeeded by a decoder which is a stack of fully connected neurons. The decoder takes the vectors of the capsule and reconstructs the original image. Hinton et al. shows that the individual dimensions of a single digit capsule vector encodes various features of the numbers. For example, stroke thickness, scale and the width of the numbers are captured in the individual dimensions of the single digit capsule vector. The vector is trained using two losses, capsule loss and reconstruction loss. Capsule loss makes the digit uh, capsules correctly encode the presence of a number. Reconstruction loss forces the digit capsule to learn features that help in reconstructing images from the 10, 16 dimensional vectors. Experiments show that the digit capsules learn robust representations of the numbers. In that experiment, they use AFNIST dataset, a dataset in which the numbers are skewed by a random affine transformation. They trained a regular CNN and a capsule network on MNIST dataset and then checked the prediction of both the models on the AFNIST dataset. An undertrained capsule network with early stopping, which achieved 99.23% on MNIST test dataset, achieved 79% accuracy on the AFNIST test dataset. A traditional convolutional model with a similar number of parameters which achieved a similar accuracy on the MNIST test dataset only achieved 66% on the AFNIST test dataset. This shows the robustness of representations learned by the capsule network. In conclusion, convolutional neural networks are flawed when it comes to dealing with novel viewpoints. The technique that has been used to partially solve this issue is to show examples of novel viewpoint as many times as needed so that the feature becomes invariant to the viewpoint. This can be restrictive when dealing with applications that have a scarcity of data. Capsule networks circumvent this issue by inherently capturing the spatial relationship of the features with the higher level features. Transformation matrices that learn to encode the intrinsic spatial relationship between a part and a whole constitute viewpoint invariant knowledge that automatically generalizes to novel viewpoints. Capsules use neural activities that vary as viewpoint varies rather than trying to eliminate viewpoint variation from the activities. As a result, they can deal with multiple different affine transformations of different objects or object parts at the same time. The research on capsule networks is at its infancy. It is still not very prominent and at a large scale like convolutional neural networks. I hope this decade heralds innovative research on capsule networks so much so that it overtakes CNNs and renders it obsolete. Thank you for listening to this episode. I would like to thank Max Pechonkin for this four-part blog post on capsule nets. This has been really helpful to me. Link of the paper and the blog post is given in the description. See you in the next. Don't know about